Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Is it time to hit the panic button when it comes to the 2023 Dallas Cowboys after that painful loss to the Buffalo Bills? Well, yes and no. Let's dive right into it. Here we go. What is up, everyone? And welcome into A to Z Sports Dallas Primetime. I am your host, Mauricio Rodriguez, streaming with you live every Sunday through Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central here on Dallas On Demand Sports Talk Network with a lot more content coming your way. Make sure that you check out adzsports.com slash Dallas. And as always, do me a favor and hit the like button for me if you enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, on a Monday night. It is a beautiful night to talk some Cowboys football. And tonight, we are answering the question. And by the way, I'll open it up to the chat right now. You can chime in immediately and answer me this. Is it time to hit the panic button after what happened in Week 15? Just to recap, the Cowboys lost 31-10 to to the Buffalo Bills and looked absolutely inferior on the road against a rising Bills team that is fighting their way into the playoffs. The Cowboys were outgained in every sense of the word. The Cowboys were outplayed, outcoached, out everything on this one as the Bills gained 351 yards of total offense, even though Josh Allen threw only 15 passes on the game. So let me know in the chat, is it time to hit the panic button in your opinion? Or not. Let's see what you guys have to say. I think the answer is a little bit complicated, if we're being honest. Now, I totally respect what Justin here is saying in the chat, where he is saying, real fans, do not panic. It's Dallas Cowboys for life, no matter what. I totally understand that, Justin, and I see where that is coming from. But tonight, we're not, we're, we're well, at least in my case, right in front of the mic, in front of the cameras, uh, I'm not being or playing the role of a fan. I'm trying to break this down as objectively as I can. And I think it's a little bit of both. I think yes and no is the right answer to the question. Let's see what you guys have to say, though. Peter Rizzo says, hell no. So for the most part, we're getting negatives in the in the YouTube chat right now. Appreciate you joining the show today. But here's how I look at it. There are some things that are worthy of panicking about. And there are some words, uh, some things that, in my opinion, it's not worth panicking about. Here's the main problem that is going to keep me up at night for a good while here, uh, maybe until January, to be honest with you. But the one thing that I am panicking about, that I am hitting the panic button, I don't care, is the Cowboys' run defense. Because it's been bad all year long. We've talked about it. They've been bottom five in success rate, defensively speaking, against the run for most of the year. The thing is, we haven't really seen them in a situation where they got to 
defend the run all that much because the Cowboys have been blowing out opponents. When they win, it's usually a blowout. And that means rivals need to just drop back and pass time and time again while the Cowboys just go after the quarterback. But when we've seen them in these tough situations like the game in Philly, the game in Buffalo, and the game in San Francisco, the opponent has been able to tap into the run and they've been wildly successful when doing so. So much so that on Sunday when the Cowboys lost to the Bills, Josh Allen himself admitted that, hey, this wasn't even our game plan. Josh Allen said that, by the way, post-game in Buffalo. Josh Allen said it wasn't necessarily our game plan, but we stuck with it, right? They figured if we're running the ball this well, then it doesn't matter if I have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm going to keep doing what works. If Don't, don't uh, fix what ain't broken, right, is what they say. And the Bills stuck with the run at such an impressive rate. And now the question is, man, where do the Cowboys go from here? Because if you look at how the Bills ran the football on the Cowboys, one thing really stands out of the page and that and, and the film, and that is size really does matter in this case. Because, man, the Cowboys were out there running their usual defensive grouping, which is nickel or dime, right? Five defensive backs or six defensive backs. And the Bills were like, you know what? No problem. The Bills were like, even though we are an 11 personnel team, because they are, I don't think no one, I don't think anyone has uh, played as much 11 personnel as the Bills have uh, this year. They're really one of the most aggressive teams in that sense. But even though they've used 11 personnel for the most part this season, the Bills went out there and used 22 plays with 12 personnel, meaning two tight ends on the field and one running back. They had 15 other plays with two running backs and one tight end, and they and then three more in 22 personnel. So they decided, you know what, you're going to keep playing us with five defensive backs and two linebackers, who, by the way, are undersized, too, in Marquise Bell and Damon Clark. We're okay with that. We're going we're gonna to do our thing, and we're going to go at you and going to punch you in the mouth. That's James Cook running behind a fullback right now on the screen against a Cowboys nickel look. Five defensive backs, and look at what happened. This is the play that the Bills were just literally pushing James Cook, and boy, oh boy, was it foreshadowing of what was about to come. Now, you you get here 12 personnel with Ty Johnson, who not only played running back, but also did a lot of H-back stuff. Then you get the fullback at the line of scrimmage, and look at that block right there from the offensive line. But then look at this one. I, I think this is the one that I wanted to point out the most. Look at the fullback pushing Jaron Kears as James Cook keeps racking up Jarvich and Jarvich and Jarvich. By the way, those cut-ups were tweeted out by Nate Ties from The Athletic. Uh, really great work, the one that he does, so check him out for sure. Uh, but the Bills really just made that a bet, and the Cowboys did not have the personnel to match it. And this is where I really want to point this out in the sense of why I am hitting the panic button when it comes to the Cowboys' run defense, and that is not only do you have undersized linebackers, you really do not have anyone to turn to right now. Rashawn Evans is not the answer, and the Cowboys do not have a lot of linebackers 
other than that. Leighton Van Der Esch was supposed to be around, but he's out for the season. The Marvin Overshone was supposed to be around, but he's obviously, you know, injured since the preseason, was placed on season-ending IR. So the Cowboys really right now do not have anybody to turn to. So you start thinking about those playoff matchups and you start thinking about who will the Cowboys need to beat to get to the Super Bowl. And the answer is clear as day. It's the San Francisco 49ers who are going to use 12 personnel on you, who are going to use 22 personnel and 21 personnel. Cal Shanahan and company are going to know how to stress this Cowboys defense yet again. You think about the Philly Eagles, who the Cowboys have been able to stay with mostly because they have a bad pass defense. But if the Eagles get in a position where they're not blown out like they were in week 14, and it is a back-and-forth boxing match, when it comes time for it, they're going to be able to run the football on you. And that's what happened back in Week 9. Two consecutive drives where the Eagles really milked the clock in the second half and ended up with the win over there in Philadelphia. And it just seems to me like teams... I think I think the the blueprint the, the whole thing about the blueprint whenever a good team goes down is always overblown. But if you can really run the football on the Cowboys, and as long as the scoreboard gives you the opportunity to run the ball, so in other words, if it's not a blowout, teams are gonna move the chains consistently against this Cowboys defense. And again, I don't I'm not sure who they turn to. Now, not everything is bad. Not everything is chaotic. Because there's one thing that I will point out. The Cowboys have been able to live in this world and survive where they can run out their nickel grouping and their dime grouping and still get some defensive stops. And the reason how, and the how they get there, not reason, but how they get there is by being extremely good tacklers. Because they've been very good tacklers when looking at the season from a broad point of view. That being said, though, it gives you so little room for error when you're playing with such an undersized group. Because back in, back in Sunday, the Cowboys were not good tacklers. In fact, they missed 12 tackles in the run game, just the run game against the Bills. So this is only run place, okay? 12 missed tackles per pro football focus. I'm going to put that number into context right now. Week 14, they had zero missed tackles against the Eagles. Week 13 against the Seahawks, zero missed tackles versus the run. Week 12 was not that easy. They had six of them. So, you know, relevant, but still they had double that on Sunday versus the Bills. Week 11, they allowed three missed tackles. Week 9, two. Week 8, four. Week 7, they had zero. Against the 49ers in week five, they had seven. So maybe the biggest reason for hope that you're not going to get a showing as bad as the one that you got against the Buffalo Bills is that you're just not likely to tackle that poorly. And maybe it has to do with Jonathan Hankins being out and Malik Hooker being out, which in turn took Jaron Kears out of the box and you had to play him up high, which is a position that he really does not play a lot of. And maybe it's going to get better just by 
getting healthier. But man, it really shows just how thin the margin for error is for this Cowboys defense that is just not built to stop the run. I, I will say to me right now, it is a concern that even though I love Dan Quinn, even though he's done a lot of great stuff for the Cowboys since he got here, this little bet at linebacker that they've got going on where they're just banking on undersized players, it's backfiring. And, and it's happened more than once now where I do believe it's it's fair calling it a legitimate concern. Basically, you got to be perfect tackling, but that is going to be tough uh, moving forward. They were, they were bullied for sure. Uh, Gregory says, so Mo, do you think it is scheme or talent? It is, it is a little bit of scheme. I'm not going to say it isn't because the Cowboys also were not like they were loading the box or anything to stop the bills. So there was some coaching involved right there, but it's talent from a roster perspective, from a choose pers a choice perspective where the Cowboys said, we're going to be all right without the big linebackers. And maybe this would look different with Overshone and with Banderash, maybe. But still, that happened before the trade deadline. Even Banderash's injury, right, happened before the trade deadline. You had more space to go get somebody. And the Cowboys just did not do any of that. Now, I do want to address this comment right here. Because Troy and I go back and forth on this one. Uh, every time that there's a poor showing from the Cowboys defense. But Troy here says, Micah can stop the run. Evans had two plays back-to-back and 159 tackles last year. And Evans is not the guy that the Cowboys fans think he is. I really believe that. Rashawn Evans is a solid backup, maybe. Like one of the best backups that you could get at the point of the season where the Cowboys got him. But... I can guarantee you putting Rashawn Evans in there is not going to solve the problems for this Cowboys defense. But more than anything, what I wanted to address is the idea of placing Micah Parsons at linebacker. Because, man, people have been loud about this one since the game ended on Sunday against the Bills. That is not the solution to things. Here's the problem with the whole notion of Parsons playing linebacker fixing the wrong woes. I understand where it's coming from, and it's coming from a good place. People are thinking, you know what? Micah is a beast. If we place him at linebacker, he's going to hold his own. First and foremost, I think that logic is flawed because I don't think we've seen a Micah that has prepared for the position since his rookie year. So I'm not confident at all in just saying, you know what, Micah, play linebacker at the NFL. It's pretty damn easy. You know, there's no reads that go there. Of course there are. And it's not a good idea to just assume that playing Micah at linebacker is going to look pretty, right? He's made some plays here and there where they placed him on the second level, sure. But it, it, there's a lot of nuance to the position of linebacker that I just don't think. I don't think, here's the thing, I don't think Micah is a defensive player of the year candidate playing off-ball linebacker. But not only that, not only that, but if you, here's, here's, a, here's the biggest problem, I think, 
with the whole idea of playing Micah at linebacker. Again, I understand that fans feel like he can do it. Like if, he, if they put him in the second level, he's going to do a good job at it. But what I think people are missing when they say that is they're not factoring in the loss of Micah Parsons, the edge rusher. They're not factoring in how much it would hurt the defense to remove the best player on the whole unit from the position where he is really the best. The whole camp or the whole group of people that want Micah moved to linebacker, that's like saying if you had a quarterback who could also play great as a running back, that's like wanting him to play running back, a much less valuable position when he's an MVP caliber quarterback. Of course, such a player does not exist in the modern NFL, but that is a comparison that I can think of because it just, man, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, if you want to put him at the A-gap and have him rush the center and have him rush the guard, that is different, right? If you want to move him inside to rush the passer, go for it. But removing him from the line of scrimmage and placing him in the second level forever, like not as a changeup, but like his permanent role, that would be a big, big way of hurting the defense just by removing him from the edge. You're talking about an edge rusher that wins blocks and, and, and beats offensive tackles and guards and centers in pass rush at the same rate that Miles Garrett does. He draws double teams at the same rate that Miles Garrett does. He's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. He's a defensive player of the year candidate. And people want to switch him from one position to another. It really makes no sense. And I think the misconception is that he did play linebacker at Penn State. And he did play linebacker in his rookie year. But since then, Micah has not been an edge rusher. Excuse me, a linebacker. Off-ball linebacker, just for clarity's sake, when I say linebacker, I mean off-ball linebacker because Dan Quinn wants to call him a pass-rushing linebacker, and I understand that. But when I say a linebacker, I mean off-the-ball. Micah is an edge rusher, has been so since his second year in the NFL, and pretty much since late in his rookie year, honestly, I think, because the Cowboys figured out, oh, shit, we've got, we've got somebody here that can be compared to Reggie White. We have somebody here that can be compared to Lawrence Taylor. Dan Quinn needs to be a pass rusher for this defense. And if you move him, if you move him to linebacker, man, it's going to hurt the Cowboys more than it's going to help them. It's just true. It is just true. I can guarantee you it's not the it's not the way to go here. Justin disagrees. He says it is a solution, Mo. If we have a generational athlete on our team, play him where we need him the most. Yesterday was at linebacker. Where you need him the most is where he can generate the most impact, and that is an edge rusher. I think that is just the truth. And again, I just don't think this magical idea that he's gonna look great at linebacker is the reality. Of things because I strongly believe it is not. It's just not. Uh, he's just hasn't done it since 2021 when he was drafted by the Cowboys. And even then, 
he became a defensive rookie of the year because of what he did as a pass rusher, not as an off-ball linebacker, if we are being honest. That's just the reality of the situation. It sucks, you know. Uh, I understand that we're frustrated because the Cowboys run defense needs help, but I do think the idea of moving Micah from one position to another, like permanently or anything like that, is is flawed. It really is flawed. You want him to play at the line of scrimmage. I understand wanting him to play inside, at like rushing the A gap and rushing the B gap even, uh, but you don't want him off the ball. You just don't want him off the ball because then teams are going to be like, oh, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL is being wasted by these guys and they're not sending him my way. Oh, cool. I'll drop back and pass. And next thing we know, we're going to be complaining about the pass defense. And I'll tell you what, I would much rather complain about rush defense than pass defense because sometimes it's going to hurt as much as it did against Buffalo. But if you go to Sunday against, you know, the San Francisco 49ers or anything, I and they can also throw the football against you with so much ease, it's also going to hurt. Micah is at his best rushing the passer, and that is the much more valuable position, basically. So I, I'll just say period right there, man. I don't think there's room for debate. I understand, again, though, where it comes from, because I do understand the whole idea about we we need somebody to help, and we don't know who else can do it. But just removing him from the line of scrimmage will hurt you more. It, it will hurt you more, for sure. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's move on a little bit here on the show, and let's move to a more positive note. And it's not positive because we're still going to be thinking about the Bills game. But although I'm hitting the panic button for the run defense, I might not be hitting the panic button for the offense, if I'm being honest. Now, let me know how you feel about that. Are you hitting the panic button for the offense specifically after they laid an egg in Buffalo on Sunday? Let me know what you think about that one, ladies and gentlemen. And in the meantime, do me a favor and hit the like button for me if you enjoy the show, as always. Cowboys did not have an answer on Sunday, and they left that game with just 10 points to their name. The Cowboys got the ball back with about a minute and a half left in the first half, ended up going nowhere, basically. And then they got the football back in the second half, Ended up going nowhere, too. It was a a performance that really left a lot to be desired. Felt like Dak Prescott was under constant pressure. Felt like he was jittery. Felt like he was not comfortable. Didn't seem like it was a takeover game from CeeDee Lamb. Jake Ferguson barely appeared over the first three quarters of the game. And you just get to a point where you're like, what the heck happened? To the offense. And I haven't gotten my hands on the all 22, but just from watching the replay twice, the condensed replay where you get the play after play after play, I think some things are clear. And that is the fact that I don't think the offensive line actually played as bad as I thought when watching it live. It wasn't pretty. And when Zach Martin went out, it was time to be scared. But as much as it pains me to admit it, I think a lot of the bad plays on, on offense 
did fall on Dak's lap, where he seemed at one point to be just a tick more impatient than in previous weeks. We've talked so much about the footwork for Dak and how much it's helped him, right? Because he's explained it time and time again. It's like first step, one read, second step, one read, third step, I got to run, right? And it seemed like Dak was in a rush every time on Sunday against the Bills. Now, I was looking at PFF's numbers, and they, they I think they classify seven pressures for the offensive line, but Dak had 10 dropbacks under pressure. That is a slight difference, but it tells you just that Dak was pressuring himself in a lot of these scenarios on Sunday against the Bills. And I think as much as that is a concern, I'm not sure it's going to become a trend, if that makes sense. I think that I feel a little bit optimistic about the, the fact that the Cowboys offensive line actually did not get that pushed around by a defensive line that is very solid, but it's not anywhere close to being what the 49ers have on the defensive line and what the Eagles have on the defensive line to the point that I was super excited a week ago when we were breaking down how the Cowboys went ahead and blocked the Eagles up back in week 14 because it seemed like the Cowboys had a lot of answers in their toolbox. They had Jake Ferguson chipping in and helping Terrence Steele. They had Tolbert. They had Dowdle. They had all of these answers in pass pro. Tony Pollard picking up the blitz. And it looked so incredibly clean that I was super upset when we just did not see any of that. Any of that on Sunday against the Bills. And I was like, well, where did those answers go to? It's hard to know, but just from watching the replay a couple times, and I'm dying to get my hands on the old 22 tomorrow morning and really start breaking it down a little bit more in detail, it seems like maybe Dak was a little bit impatient in the pocket. And my theory would be that the receiving game or the passing game was just not, there wasn't a whole lot open immediately for Dak. And maybe he had to be more patient, but... It's just my way of saying, man, that, hey, the offensive line not getting bullied, as I thought they were bullied, uh, it's promising to me. I think PFF had above average grades for pretty much everyone in pass pro talking about the offensive linemen. So if you look at the numbers, I think only one guy allowed more than two pressures, offensive line speaking, uh, offensive line wise, excuse me. Let me try to find here the numbers very quickly on PFF just to give you my exact thoughts. And that would be, here we go, yeah. So two pressures allowed by Schoonmaker, and then two and two from Tyron and Tyler, who had above average pass blocking grades. And so did Terrence Steele, and Zach Martin actually didn't, but he played very little on this game. And Tyler Vyadish also had an above average pass blocking grade. And again, PFF grades are subjective, but it does matter to me when you're seeing that Biotish and then Steele and Tyron and Tyler combined for very few pressures on this game. So I'm just saying, good thing that the offensive line was not really that pushed around. 
terrible thing that Dak was probably to blame for a lot of the pressures and a lot of the plays that ended up negatively. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Maybe it's more fixable than if your offensive line was just straight up sucking, basically. Uh, shout out to Backman Tyler Overdrive, who has a super chat for us. Let me get you a quick sound effect here, improvising a little bit. Backman says, Dallas doesn't lose back-to-back games. Every loss is a valuable loss, a valuable lesson, excuse me. Keep up the great content. We steal them, boys. How about them, Cowboys? Thank you to Backman Tyler Overdrive. And on that sense of, you know, back-to-back games, more on that in a little bit when we get to the final thought of the, of the, of the night. But thank you, Mr. Backman, for the super chat. I appreciate it a whole lot. Uh, K Moni here says, I am panicking. We can stop a great run game. Every team in the playoffs has a great run game, especially in the NFC, though. Especially in the NFC. Um, every team in the playoffs has a great run game. We barely beat the Seahawks, and they didn't even have their starting running back. And, you know, the Seahawks, they were a team that also picked you apart in the past a little bit. So Cam says, that's why I'm pissed when he got hurt. I think he's talking about Sack Martin, though. I'm sorry if you're not talking about that, Cam, but you might be talking about Sack Martin or Jonathan Hankins and Hooker. And yeah, Hooker and Hankins is tough because you're talking about different levels of the defense. And it basically was a domino effect where you don't have your nose tackle. And then you don't have Jaron Kears in the box at the second level where he usually is at. And you also do not do not have a Malik Cooker at free safety. So that's three levels without three of the top run defenders out of it, right? And that's that's uh, definitely uh, costly. But with Zach Martin, though, hopefully he's ready to go by Sunday, like he said after the game. Because with no Zach Martin, it's not going to be pretty, man. Uh, all the respect to TJ Voss, but I think... And this is more of a Martin statement than a Bass statement. But if you look at starters to backups all across the roster, going from Zach Martin to undrafted rookie TJ Voss is perhaps one of the biggest downgrades that you can have on this team. And again, it's more of a Zach Martin statement than a TJ Voss statement. We don't really know who Voss is going to be. But Zach Martin is a first ballot Hall of Famer guard and a bazillion time all pro, first team all pro. So it's perhaps one of the biggest downgrades that you can have on offense. So definitely something that sucks. Now, one more thought that I wanted to leave you with uh, before we get to the Dolphin stuff. Uh, one of the biggest reasons why you wouldn't panic about this game might be that it did feel a little bit differently than the San Francisco 49ers loss. There's something that is more frustrating about the Niners loss, but there's also some stuff that is a little bit more frustrating about the Bills loss, to be fair. Some thoughts here from my part. Number one is that back in week five, at least it was like the first game that he had the offensive line all together. And it was the offensive line that you would ditch in the bye week, two weeks from from then. 
this was the revamped version of the offense, and they still didn't deliver. So that makes this one more frustrating. But from more, from a more tangible and objective point of view, this Bills game felt a little bit more like it was about certain big moments that did not go the Cowboys' way because of themselves, because of officiating, because of this, because of that. But you had the Brandon Cooks missed shot. You had the personal foul calls, and that includes the Lawrence roughing the passer, the Sam Williams roughing the kicker, the Jaron Kears unnecessary roughness on a defenseless receiver. By the way, Jaron Kears took to Twitter today and called out NFL officiating. I think he's wrong. I think it was worthy of being called. Fair or not, the rules, fair or not, go read the rule book. And if we're going by the rule book, that flag had to be out. Just being fair. And then the missed opportunity to challenge the play and turn it around. It was about that more than it was. Uh, and uh, it's tricky because the Cowboys also got whooped right beyond just those plays. We just talked about 12 missed tackles. We just talked about Dak pressuring himself and all that. But it did feel like this game could have gone a lot different in a lot of different big plays. While the Niners game was like, they're just better. They're, they're just better and period, man. To me, the Cowboys-Bills game feels like if you play it again today, you're likely going to get a very different result. I'm not saying that the Cowboys would win it, but it would be a much closer game. And if the Cowboys and the Niners played today, I don't have a lot of confidence that the scoreboard will, would look any different. Uh, maybe slightly different, maybe two possessions differently or something. Or maybe it would take the Niners a little bit longer to really pull away. But Dak Prescott was asked about the difference between, between the Niners game and the Bills game. And he even said that he was a little bit prouder by the response that the team had after the illegal hit on Dak Prescott. And he mentioned Martin going after Taylor Rapp and the Cowboys just at least being in a little bit more of a fight attitude didn't work out because they didn't execute but they did have that different attitude on this one and I think that's a fair comment to make from Dak uh, but he also said you know he said we were not doing that in San Fran we didn't do that we didn't have that response in San Fran and he did say but we just didn't execute and as I said they beat us in the formula I mean they got up on us and continued to control the ball control the possession kill the clock and we didn't convert on our third downs which was something that we've been great at all year. And then you look up, and I don't even know how many plays we had, but it just doesn't feel like a lot. That's been our way of winning the game, so they just beat us in the formula. They did a hell of a job on all three phases. We didn't help ourselves in the first half with some penalties. I missed the throw. That's four plays right there. And he added, those plays go the other way, and who knows what we're talking about. Uh, but that's the National Football League, especially when you're playing a team like uh, that's competitive fighting for a playoff spot, fighting for their season, blah, blah, blah. It's tough to overcome circumstances like that. And it's not that I want to say, oh, man, it was totally different, but it did feel like it was a different kind of beat down. And that's, not, that's no consolation for a lot of people. I now understand that. That's pretty fair to feel like that. But 
I think the Niners' loss was much more negative in a lot of that sense. Uh, okay, let's see what you guys have to say. Well, it was embarrassing, says Cam. It really was. Backman says, I watched every miserable minute. Yeah, I did too, man. And by the third quarter, I was like, all right, I kind of want to end this stuff, get my articles out and play some cyberpunk and then do primetime or something like that. It was that kind of a game, man, where it's like, ah, oh, let's just get it over with. I watched till the bitter end too, always, says Justin D. I don't remember the last time that I stopped watching a Cowboys game. I really don't. And, you know, doing this, the shows and everything, it really does not give you a whole lot of option, but I legitimately cannot remember when was the last time that I stopped watching a Cowboys game. This is the live we shows, gentlemen. Quinn didn't do to stop the bleeding, says Cam. And unfortunately, I don't think there's a way to disagree with that, Cam. I don't think there's a way we can disagree with that objectively. Because it wasn't like the Cowboys started loading the box with eight defenders in the second half. They didn't do any of that. And that, 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 oh, I understand the frustration. I share it. Even though some of us disagree with what the Cowboys should do with Micah. Now, final thought. This time for real, man. After the Niners loss, we had to wait, what, until week nine? For the Cowboys to be really challenged by a big situation, going to Philly, facing the Eagles. And yeah, they lost that one, but it was super competitive and it was a one-score game. And overall, it was a little bit of a good feeling, right? We all wanted to win over the Eagles. I'm not trying to be like, oh, that was a win or anything like that. But it wasn't. It was a competitive game. It was a fun game even, uh, if we're being objective about it. But they were not challenged for a month after that again. Then after the Eagles loss in week nine, you also had to wait about a month to get to week 14 and be challenged yet again by the Eagles. Now the Cowboys lose to the Bills. And at the very least, the wait is much shorter. And the Cowboys have such a big chance at squashing away all of these conversations that we've been having. Because, man, the Bills and the Dolphins are more or less the same caliber of a team. And Miami, you know, it's not September, so it's not like the weather is going to be that big of a factor. But at least it's not the Cowboys' home. And this is what I see in the Dolphins. It's another top five offense. And if we're being more specific, it's another top five rushing offense and McDaniel is going to just do all sorts of wild stuff to force the Cowboys to get some tackling done on Sunday they do a lot of trickery they do a lot of eye candy they use motions they do reverses they do end rounds they do everything they do the pitches where it's like you know like the under throws like in the Patrick Mahomes offense they've got a good quarterback in Tua Tungavailoa They've got a road game. They've got a respectable pass rush because it is a respectable pass rush. I think they've got the second highest sack rate in the NFL, which is something that I did not expect, to be honest with you. And they've got a cornerback who can who can really take away CeeDee Lamb. Now, I'm not saying that CeeDee's going to go on an island and he's going to have zero catches or anything like that, but Jalen Ramsey, for a large portion of this game, is going to do a good job covering CD. So that means Dak is going to try to do what maybe he wasn't able to do in Buffalo, which was 
okay, let's get to my second read and let's work off of that. It's not going to be easy throws to CeeDee Lamb. I don't think so, at least. So big time challenge. And the Cowboys can really squash that whole conversation away. We'll see what happens. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, for now, it will be it by me on tonight's show. As always, I appreciate you joining the show and watching primetime. Thank you so much. Love talking Cowboys football with you guys. Do me a favor and hit the like button for me. And I will see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Central, to talk some Cowboys football. I'm not sure yet what we're going to be talking about, but I'll see you 8 p.m. tomorrow night. Thanks so much, and bye-bye.